Welcome to the United Reformed Church podcast. A fortnightly series that explores the URC's focus on Christian discipleship mission. And what it means to be walking the way of Jesus today. Today on the URC podcast, we're joined by Philippa Ose, the URC Youth Moderator-Elect for 2022 and 2023. We're also joined by Victoria Turner, PhD student in World Christianity. Hi, ladies. So today we're going to be speaking about feminism. Is that right? Yes. Right. Now, excuse me for my ignorance, but I understand I was doing a little bit of research before we jumped onto this podcast and I have a couple of questions. Um, So is it fair to say the first wave of feminism was linked to, you know, the suffragettes, uh, the second wave in the 90s and 60s where you had the fight for um, social equality, the first wave was political, you know, the right to vote, um, birth control, abortion, you know, all of that sort of thing in the second wave. The third wave, what is that linked to, you know, girl power? I remember the Spice Girls when they came out and girl power was, you know, like trending and famous and all that sort of stuff. And now we've got the Me Too movement, Time's Up. What, so what would you, what would you say feminism means today? I think, I think the waves are more complicated. I think that's like a really, I, I think it's accurate, but I think that's really Eurocentric mm-hmm. um, uh, way of thinking about feminism. Whereas like, so me and Philippa are both really like Angela Davis and she's got a book. Oh, the name escapes from Philippa. What's the name? Woman, Race and Class. Women, Race and Class. Yes, that's the one. And she kind of tries to trace like feminism, but through the eyes of like um, black people, mm-hmm. which looks quite different. So like the kind of the second wave you were talking about no, the first wave you were talking about, some people were thinking about the vote, but the, the, they called themselves um, like black women's groups. They were talking about um, anti-slavery mm-hmm. and they came up with this idea of like they had to have like a different consciousness to like work in the world. And a lot of their advocacy was actually about like others. Um, so I think in many cases it looks, it has also looked quite different and the struggles being quite different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there was actually quite a lot of, um, well, there was a lot of camaraderie between suffragettes and um, some of the black women's groups. There was also a lot of um, conflict because they, well, the black women's groups were kind of fighting for uh, like a, a kind of class. They were fighting based off of, I think, more class because black women, especially I'm talking about um, in America, would face, um, they were facing more class struggles as opposed to the white women, the white the white suffragettes who were typically middle-class. So they viewed their, their kind of, uh, their freedom and coming into their freedom as, as a kind of like an economic liber- liberation as well as like voter enfranchisement but it, then it wasn't just for them as in black women in a bubble it was for um, the black race in general and I think there was a lot of kind of conflict because black men I think got the vote before white women in the um, or they were trying to get the vote before white women um, in America so there was a lot of a uh, kind of racial racial uh, um, Dis- disparity 
not racial disparity, but um, kind of racial racial struggle. Yeah, and it, like it was also the case that you had to be a property owner to vote at this time as well, wasn't it? And I think black women were very much like they had the bigger picture in mind. Like, and this is the difference I think of like intersectional feminism and like white feminism. Is white feminism can often be quite like intra, like thinking about yourself and. Historically, if we look at like intersectional feminism, it's, it's imagining a different world, which is obviously what's more attractive to me and what I think feminism needs to be. It's like, what would a different vision look like that's, that's looking at our patriarchal world? What is it going to change in our patriarchal world? Rather so, than just thinking, how do I make my, my life a bit easier in the patriarchal world without caring about changing the structures, but just elevating myself? And you've 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 lent on um, black women in America. What about that whole movement? But in the UK, where do we stand with that? There was not a lot of black people. I mean, there were still um, pockets, especially around uh, port towns, um, of black people in the UK. Um, but I think the the real like the larger wave of people came in during the fifties uh, and sixties with Wind Windrush Generation. And there was a lot of social movements, um, especially as they came to a country and they were supposed to be welcomed um, because they were coming to, you know, you know, help to rebuild the post-war economy, uh-huh. but faced a lot of discrimination, a lot of um, glass ceilings. Um, so in terms of black women enfranchisement in the UK, I think a lot of the, the, the groups were focused on um, I mean, we had the vote, I think, when we came here, but uh, it was mostly kind of focused on, like, I think schooling. For me, I think that's that's how I, I would view it, like, um, kind of uh, supporting um, young people um, in in schools because, you know, there was things like, uh, I'm not exactly sure of the name, but they essentially move Black children from, Reg, um, normal kind of comprehensive schools into I think they're called special schools and I'm not sure if the term is you know derogatory oh, yeah they showed that in that in that show yeah the BBC documentary what was it called Black Axe or something like that by um Steve McQueen yeah. yes um and I feel like a lot of um black women especially black mothers were kind of rallying around um you know, supporting their children's education so they could get on in life. Um, mm-hmm. I've not looked into so much the um, kind of black female, <clears throat> black female um, feminist movement in the UK. Mm-hmm. So I feel like America takes, it takes such a kind of centre stage when it comes to things of that nature. But I think that there was a lot of kind of collaborative work. There's, uh-huh. there's a really good book um, about the UK, about feminism, decolonising feminism, something. And she talks about um, that, that that kind of energy, like, well, the schools aren't working. And obviously, Akaila in his, um, well, what's Akaila's book called? Akaila's Empire. book is called um, Empires. So explain to us who Akaila is. <laughs> Akaila is a, um, he's a, He's a Jamaican, and I think he's also Scottish, um, writer, writer, and he's a rapper as well, and kind of like a social commenter. Um, and his book Empires was about, um, I think it's called, I think it's about it's kind of the sub 
heading, the sub subtitle is kind of about race and class in the fall of, M like after the fall of the empire. Um, and he discusses, you know, uh, the Windrush generation, um, the 80s, and there was a lot of um, race rights during the 80s, kind of the National Front, um, the police and the relationship between um, Black Brits and the police um, fitting in in schools and um, how he faced racial discrimination in school and had to um, had to look outside towards um, the Black community who had, who had set up Saturday schools to support um, their children's education because it was kind of, they were not being helped along in school like the rest of the population was. Um, I think his book is really insightful. I, it's like my top recommendation for anybody. Um, it's very interesting because um, it, it really gives, it gives a really good perspective on um, kind of the UK context. And anyway, I, I um, resonated with that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I like. I like to have things in a UK context because I, I know it's very, very easy to lean towards America because things are bigger and brighter over there. And I don't mean bigger and brighter in that sense, but, you know, we always look towards them when we talk about civil rights movements. We always look at what's happened in America rather than what's happened here in the UK. So that's really helpful um, to, for, yeah, to know about that book because... I think that would be really educational to people. I think um, the church has also played a big role in making the Windrush generation feel really unwelcome. That unwelcome? Unwelcome, yeah, yeah. Back, How so? Back, because back home they were going to churches that were still linked, like they were mission plant churches, so they were still linked with churches back home. So that, that was like an, an Anglican church or like a Methodist church. They kind of looked at the UK, like I think the phrase they use like the motherland, like uh -huh. they just thought they'd go back and they'd be able to integrate straight into the congregation. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But our churches didn't do that. Like if they were a minister, we didn't see their gifts because we already had a white minister. Uh -huh. And like it was just like tokenization. But I just think that for, for many people who talk like Anthony Reddy talks about his grandparents having this experience and like that being the most painful but like their relationship with Christ was kind of severed because of where they had come from mm -hmm. so then they started um to form their own kind of churches and their own communities and that's kind of why we have the landscape we have here today which mm -hmm. is beautiful and diverse but I think we as white people also need to be very conscious that like well we also have separate majority black churches because we didn't allow them to come into us and we didn't show them the hospitality that we should have where does feminism fit into all of that because i think feminism is well obviously this is like there's a, such a patriarchal way of doing church and church is a very white centric kind of thing so azaria france williams ghost ship talks about this really really well about like who has the power in the church and i think the role of feminism or intersectional feminism is to find power and critique critique it in in the lens of capitalism and the lens of patriarchy and think of like a new way um, so I think it fits in that like while well, women were not in, in, at this time were not held up in churches I mean in our congregational tradition we have a very good history but generally in the UK like women were not held up in the same way and I think this is like a lens where we can kind of look for others and, and fight on behalf of others uh -huh. um, I think that's like the, the theory of feminism is really important and something that we can all kind of like embed and think about things through a different way She's going to say something there, Simon. Um, I was just going to um, ask about some of the legacies um, that have carried on about uh, from some of the um, historical 
uh, events and um, uh, sort of background that you were giving us. One of the most important things I think we're doing in the, in the United Reformed Church and beyond at the moment is accepting that these, these uh, concerns and these issues are far from over. Um, they still continue today. People continue to suffer as a result of a lot of the things you've been mentioning. And I wanted to ask um, if you could help us unpack some of the legacies that continue today um, in feminism and the intersectional issues that uh, we've been covering? Um, well, I think that um, part of the legacies is, you know, whether or not our kind of main church structure has kind of opened itself up to, you know, women pastors, women ministers, etc. There's still a lot of like patri patriarchal ideal ideas in the individual local churches. So a lot of women find themselves stuck in the um, clerk role or the um, secretary role. And I think that they definitely do struggle to kind of make their voices heard amongst the elders. Uh, I think I've heard that from, from several people. Um, and, I, and I feel as if perhaps the opening up of you know feminist ideas within our church and the kind of broader church structures has not properly trickled down um anyway that's my perspective and i think there's something about like mentality that when you envision a minister he still looks like a white man and um, when you envision people on the top table of, of general assemblies or synods or anything like that, they tend to look a certain way. And so anyone else who presents themselves as wanting to be in this leadership position, suddenly they have an extra gaze on them because they don't look like how people or we perceive they should look like. So they have to show that they are capable of it. And it's like another step. So they will have all of the skills, but they need to fit into the mold that's being molded into like a white, man usually to be able to to do it so there's like another way that like you have to operate to almost like prove yourself which white people don't have to do mm -hmm. um, yeah and that's a big big issue and that's a massive legacy and it's gonna take a really long time for us to try and fix it so this is where things like affirmative action apologies for the legacies of slavery karen's work your work and, and marie is like really important to kind of really put these things out there and show people that like this mold is not okay this mold is continuing and we need to we, we it's not just going to go away by itself right we, we need to work on it mm -hmm. so what what other work do you think needs to be done I think it is broader societal work and perhaps there needs to be more materials from um like church house or from the various committees coming down to local level and you know making it in a way that it's it's very obvious and very like easy to understand for you know the majority of the church congregation. I think that the dissemination of information needs to be mm -hmm. um, perhaps not better but different. Mm -hmm. I think the video Kevin made with you in it, Philippa, was really good about racial justice like visual representation stories I think stories are so important even though they're exhausting for the person who's telling them but like if you receive it well stories are like transformative and I think for me that's like the step we need to have I think often we can like hear about racial justice like oh that's really sad but that's not me moving on with my day but I think when you hear a story about somebody suffering you should be changed in response to it and kind of be interrogating yourself and your structures and kind of be ready for that big transformation and be ready for like structural change um 
I also think like we need there's a balance that needs to be had between what's going on outside. I think um, Britain at the moment is full of racism, full of patriarchy and full of sexism. We had an MP on the front of a newspaper because she was showing her legs. Like this isn't 1960s, this is 2022. Like how has that happened? Um, we have trying to, MPs trying to send people to Rwanda, not caring that people can't eat. All of these are feminist issues and all of these are stuff that the church should be absolutely outraged about. Like mm -hmm. we can't just like be, be dealing with the symptoms like food banks and stuff. Like we need to be protesting. We need to be really angry that we're not even allowed to protest anymore. <laughs> like the world is burning up. This is a feminist issue because of capitalism through this lens of patriarchy that's like allowing this to happen. So I think there needs to be a balance of like us being prophetic and having a new world through Christ in what we're doing in our theology and our worship but also constantly interrogating ourselves. Like we're a reformed tradition. We need to constantly be reforming and making ourselves better. So mm -hmm. not just challenging others, but always also like challenging ourselves too. Mm -hmm. And how, and how, what, if you break it down, challenging ourselves, what does that look like? You know, to anybody who might be listening to this podcast, um, because we can look at the macro. If we, if we make it really small, what are the individual steps that we can do to challenge ourselves? Um, I think that, you know, when we see these issues, asking ourselves how we play into them, if we do, um, I think that is a very big thing, um, because I, I, you can't personally stand against an issue if you are also contributing to the problem. Um, yeah. I think it's just, it's really hard work, because a lot of it's not conscious like mm. we'll be like we're not racist we're not sexist but we're not anti-racist and a lot of the time we're not anti-sexist like we play into rhetorics because that's what our culture is doing and it's easier whereas I think this this work of really listening and really thinking and changing like it's really hard work like so like I read a lot like Rennie at a large why I'm not talking to white people about race Mason, yeah. it's amazing because it really shows you all of our unconscious ways that we don't realize like our privilege in the world and how we need to stand up for others so yeah I just think it's it's, it's really hard work and it's it's got to be like really mindful and it's not just listening but it's like taking yourself on a journey I think mm -hmm. I think what you said there is really pertinent because you don't know what you don't know until until you're made to know. <laughs> and then you need to be angry that people don't know. <laughs> like, why aren't we learning about co co colonialization in schools? Like, it's mm. because when you say the word colonial colonialization, you just think it happened years ago. What relevance does it have today? Do you get what I mean? Yes. I, I think that um, when we talk about like colonialism, the the structures that are, are made, that were made in colonialism are still here. And a lot of them were sexist structures. Um, so without dismantling the structures or kind of looking into them and changing them now, we are still playing into um, kind of, uh, we're playing into sexist structures basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think like the, the statues is a really good example. I think it's, it's, it's symbolic. Like it doesn't end with statues. It's that like, who we uphold in society, that we're upholding a man who trans, what's a like Colson statue in Bristol, we're upholding a man who transported millions of people. He didn't, who he didn't see as people, they were products. He dehumanized millions of people, didn't care about their well-being, and sent them around the world enslaved. And we're upholding a statue of him because he helped white people in Bristol. 
like like and it's, it's really stupid but we're like how can we possibly think like that and it, mm. it does really kind of just kind of feel like something clicks in your head and you're like oh yeah why am I thinking like that and I just think like when you read like newspapers and there's headlines about like benefit scrounges and stuff like this and you're like oh the normal working working class people don't get any help with their electricity absolutely it's rubbish for them it's also rubbish for people who don't get money who are you needing to side with you're not siding with the government who's got millions and millions of pounds <laughs> Rishi Sunak and the other one who wants to send people to Rwanda no you're closest to the, the people who don't work and we need to we need to be allies with them and fight against the power structures I think it is it's this question of like where is the power how can I make a difference and you're not going to make a difference by helping billionaires become more billionaires absolutely and I think in in mm in all of our communities and, and families even, we're surrounded by people who are trapped within those perspectives. Um, they, they can't see um, beyond their, their own experience, much of which has been privileged and they can't, they, they simply can't recognize that. Mm. I, I wonder um, on an individual level, um, what we can do in terms of when we meet people who have those perspectives, because when you try to explain um, the situation very often you are met with anger um, and confusion and frustration um, I find that the only way really to overcome these things is for people to get to know each other within these situations um, it's not something that can be explained you have to see it and witness it for yourself mission um, has a, a roundtable coming up to look at some of these issues. I'm also aware that CWM has offered other experiences for people to encounter each other from across the globe to look at these issues and I know Victoria has been involved in some of those and Philippa is to be the URC's rep at this upcoming conference. Um, what are your hopes for these sorts of experiences and how can we widen them so that more people can benefit from them? Um, my hope for this experience is kind of understanding and listening to people's different people's con like contexts and experiences, because I, I only know what I know. And, and, you know, that might be like a narrow lens through my experiences in London or in Jamaica. So I think listening to um, to other people and having their experiences, like kind of as bolstering um, and seeing how they've dealt with certain issues um, would help all of us um, as a collective to, um, to move forward um, with the best possible um, tactics, I think. Yeah, the, the, the women's roundtable, I think, is first of all trying to create like solidarity between women who are in the ecumenical world and positions of power in their churches, mindful that they're still a big minority. Like we've done a great job at getting women in these positions, but um, Esther Mombo, she's an Anglican theologian. And she um, talks about how a lot of the time women have to become men to operate in these positions of power. And at first I was like, what on earth is she talking about? That's really weird. And then I was like, oh no, she's totally right. Like mm. we, can't, we can't have like our own kind of skills. We have to fit into a mold, but if we become too confident we become bossy if we're too shy we become weak right so 
and, and obviously men don't have to deal with that kind of stuff so first of all it's this like solidarity thing but then I was also involved in the World Communion of Reformed Churches um, COVID-19 discernment process where we listened to people around the world who talked to us about their issues with COVID and just so much stuff we just weren't aware of like the in South Africa there was so much domestic violence it was ridiculous obviously in Palestine like the stuff that they were going through Syria people who also didn't have anything that they could eat and that they weren't having the vaccines the whole global apartheid with the vaccine dissemination and how that fits in with capitalism and power so I think also part of it is just like networks of solidarity and thinking like who is the ecumenical movement for what are we doing this for because I get quite frustrated when the ecumenical movement is quite just concerned about structures because I think also from a reform tradition the church we see the church as a community of people and a lot of the time it seems like the people don't matter and the people are on the sidelines whereas I just feel like the purpose of the structures is to serve people through the church mm. and it feels like they do the opposite so yeah that's these ideas for these these it's just kind of like getting women together who are really excited and to, to think what would a new vision look like what could the ecumenical world through the lens of passionate women who care really care and aren't bound what what would it look like and what is your hope for it to look like <laughs> energy <laughs> energy yeah and and i think there's so much scapegoating in the ecumenical movement right it's like oh young people aren't interested in ecumenism no you're not involving young people in ecumenism and like which voices are allowed to be heard which voices are controversial like we're allowed to talk about ukraine as much as we want in the ecumenical movement but you try and speak about palestine and you have so many eyes on you right like who whose voice is is being listened to and whose concerns are we actually caring about like i was in a conference recently and i was so mad so i was talking to somebody i hated how kind of um structurally focused this conference was and I said this to some one person he went oh well things like the program to combat racism or the decade for women they come and go because they're interesting but the the real work like the the structural ecumenical work that's the work that stays and I was like you're so wrong like I was so mad I was like well the the plight of women's not over for me as a woman the plight of racial justice isn't over you're only allowed to say that because you're a white man and you're in a position of power and you can choose what you want to to do so and there's a really good theologian um sarah stone who did a tweet not too long ago that talked about she said if i wasn't a black woman she said i wonder what i would have studied she was like maybe i would have looked at augustine or maybe i would have looked at like plato but I didn't I don't know if I would have chosen to look at like racial justice and feminism mm. and it's, yeah I think these questions are really important yeah um I definitely agree especially when you're talking about um the kind of cultures of the the spaces that a lot of us I know us two definitely move through um and how we have to conform to you know the way that people behave and you know the way that people go about making change because um because otherwise it's kind of you if you seem like you're going against the mold you're you know making things awkward inside of the, the structures that we we inhabit especially um like church and ecumenical um spaces i think that um the the conference will definitely give me uh different ideas on how I can you know be radical or how I can be different and that be okay and me to feel comfortable within that um I think that's definitely something I'm going to learn from 
from the space. Mm. We had a good discussion after um, the last youth assembly where we realized that so many people kind of struggle with business and like how it works. Um, it was just like, well, then why don't we do it how we do? And in some ways, it's really good because we want it to mirror general assemblies. So, but then we, we, we lose out on listening to so many voices. So I think there's something about like the structures we use are so like why business kind of you need to be confident and have all the right words and you'll get shunned if you say something wrong kind of stuff. But there needs to be a space for like feeling. And while this motion actually is really like hurtful to me and these are the reasons or I don't really know what to say but my general feeling is that I like this and I think we get so bogged down with like standing orders and mm. and uh, structure and I think that is a it, it's something that we've definitely noticed um on the youth executive and it's something that we are looking into ways of you know helping for you know not just the same people to keep coming up and talking but for like everyone in the room to feel comfortable enough to share their opinion or their feeling on a certain topic. Otherwise, I think we definitely do lose out on so Yeah, like Victoria said, we definitely lose out on so many voices and so many people don't come back because they feel, they feel like they're not being listened to. True. Um, I just wanted to ask, um, it's very clear, I think, that Jesus spent much of his time with people who were marginalized, ignored, misunderstood, pushed to the side. Are there any particular Bible verses that you look to uh, and for inspiration in this? And one question that we ask everyone um, on the podcast is the strap line of walking the way is living the life of Jesus today. What does that mean to you? Speaking up on the uh, strap line, I think that Jesus was like by his very nature um, a feminist, um, uh, someone who fought for equal rights. And I think that perhaps it's not been highlighted so much through history, but that is how I view my Christianity and, you know, his outreach work and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think that's how and that's what I base kind of like our church mission on um if it's not about you know helping somebody or uh, making somebody's life better then I, I kind of struggle to see the point <laughs> I think when I think about like what how Jesus operated in the world he like saw people like he fed people before he preached to them like the the woman who touched his cloak in Mark 5 I think um he it was kept so countercultural for him to touch his cloak and he was like oh my goodness what's happening and then he saw the woman and he was like oh that's okay wow you have so much faith you're amazing and, and it's like he was a person who had so many encounters with others like Zacchaeus in the tree like he's a really sinful person and Jesus was like that's okay come it's fine like come come to my house can I'm coming over for dinner like it's it's this kind of seeing people and encountering and I think look, exactly looking past their um kind of the the type the ideas at the time and you know how people would have been prejudiced against certain groups like perhaps with the Samaritan woman and you know he allowed her to fetch water for him that thing that kind of thing would never never have been you know that was not the cultural norm and I think that by like by that in itself it, it shows so much about the character 
of Jesus and how we should like emulate that in the church. Like I think a good example that we can learn is that a lot of um, intersectional feminism at the moment is talking about prisons and also how so Andrew Davis in her Freedom as a Constant Struggle talked about how prisons are a massive um, profit making scheme, especially in the States, but here too, like how evil G4S is. Um, and actually like why are we incarcerating people when we incarcerate a person we stop them being a person because we take away all their rights and they can't reintegrate into communities but we just take the whole prison structure for granted whereas I think Jesus wouldn't have done that he they're, they're, these are people and we want them to have life flourishing lives too and, and how is it I think it's more like how is it the case that we have people who struggle so much that they hurt other people that they steal things and I think we need to go back to how, why is our society doing that? Like, why do we have all of these issues in society? It's, it's not just dealing with the symptoms. Oh, we'll just lock this person up because they did something wrong. It's like, well, no, why did they do that? That's so sad. Like, think about it in a different kind of lens, I guess. And, I, and I've, I've um, read a few books that have talked about the school to prison pipeline. And I think it is very, very uh, uh, prevalent in the UK you know, through unit schools. And then a lot of the children who go into unit schools, kind of special special behavioral unit schools actually do end up in prison. And, you know, the amount of children that are excluded, permanently excluded, and those children end up in prisons. Um, I think that perhaps the church does have a role to play in supporting um, local communities with that kind of stuff. And I'm not sure exactly how that would um, be, how that would work out or like how, it will be done but I think it's something that we definitely need to look into. In the UK we have the largest um, population of prisoners in the whole of Western Europe. Wow. So when people say that the UK is the America of Europe you know or Western Europe they're definitely not lying. There's something about like yeah getting your hands dirty and like doing the hard work isn't it like being like alongside people in that way like if, if the status quo is not okay full stop like we, we need to do something about it like the, like I think when the church is quiet the, the church doesn't realize how much power it has and I know we always look at the Anglican church and we're like oh they don't realize how much power they have but we have a lot of power too <laughs> so I think it's something about like if we're not if we're not on the side of the oppressed we're also complicit right so yeah and I I, I do remember from uh, a clip shown at General Assembly there was a lady um or uh, sorry, a minister that had set up uh, like a, a cafe thing and she was um, employing or like allowing to volunteer um, people who had just left um, prison, especially women who had just left prison. I think that is such a an easy, simple way of, you know, incorporating the, the kind of marginalised and, and the people who, you know, typically wouldn't come into church incorporating them into into church and you know allowing them to see that you know Christians do you know have feeling and, and, and feel for those who have kind of been set aside by by society. I think it's like trust is so important isn't it like that we we are learning that we can trust these people and that 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 lovely people and and everyone I think needs to be trusted it like deserves to be trusted and given responsibility and shown love and I think this also comes back to how we how we work with um the the URC as well so general assembly when someone's standing up on a podium some people we're not trusting 
a lot of the time when young people are speaking, people switch off because their voice isn't as important. If a black person stands up and shares their story, a lot of the time you see white people switch off because it's not relevant to the business in their eyes. But it's like, whose voice are we trusting? Whose voice are we integrating? And who are we really listening to? So like, obviously at the moment, trans issues are so pertinent. And it's just like, we, we can't trust someone to listen because they look different to us. Um, so it's that, that embedding of like, who, who's, whose ideas am I absorbing? And whose ideas am I keeping outside to keep myself comfortable? So where would you say is a good place for somebody who wanted to start questioning themselves, um, opening their eyes, looking at the structures to see what they could do to start changing things in their own context? Where would you say is a good place for somebody to start? You've said so many um, books that you've read, you've blown my mind. I'm like, right, Renee Edo, Aaliyah. Angela Dave, I've got to check out all these people. Um, where would you say is a good place for somebody to start? Empires by A Colour. Okay. I think that was, like I said, it was like the most like mind-blowing book for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because it really, like my personal story, and it, it fit into a lot of the the um the data, which there's a, a lot of data in that book, um, explained in a very easy to understand way. Mm-hmm. Um it was really just you know kind of affirming in my opinion um and also I think the the book why I'm not speaking to white people about race uh-huh. um and the Angela Davis Belt, by the way oh really again. yeah she's gonna be at Greenbelt oh well, I'm going there so thanks for that <laughs> <laughs> um yes and also if we're talking about feminism and 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 things of that nature I think Angela Davis is it's it's actually a lot more easy to understand if you listen to it in an audiobook and they do have some on YouTube so Angela Davis's book about uh, women race and class mm-hmm. if you want to talk about uh, like in, in, intersectional uh, sorry intersectional feminism is really it's really easy to understand from um, the perspective of that book because uh-huh. um, I feel like people might think, oh my gosh, so much jargon. Uh-huh. Um, but it's really well broken down in that book. Thank you. And and just one more thing, Victoria, you mentioned your Bible verse, which was, well, not, but you referred to Mark 5, the woman touching, um, who is bleeding and touched Jesus's cloak. What, what was your Bible verse that, um, that you kind of lean on for inspiration? Um, the Amos, let justice roll down like waters, like a never-ending stream, I think. Because I think that stops us thinking about justice rationally, doesn't it? Like justice isn't something you can do and then it's done. Like it's oh, it's out of our hands. Like you can't control a river. Like I think it, it's 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 the spreading and yeah, that that constant kind of energy. And I, I think like um like the question about the book recommendations like I read a lot I love reading I'd also add Anthony Reddy's Can of Wicks Is God Colorblind Theologizing Brexit they're really useful but I just think it's also like encounters like pushing yourself out if your church is in a multicultural area but it's a white a white population you need to ask why <laughs> if your church is in a working class area and you're all middle class you need to ask why um and and just take yourselves out and listen and talk to people ladies it's been a pleasure you said so much, you've given us lots of food for thoughts. 
and I've got so many books to go and read now so thanks for that (laughs) 